Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. Hope everybody is having a great uh, weekend. Hope you're having a great summer. Um, I, I want to say at the beginning here, just a shout out and thanks to Chuck Eastman and John Dickerson. Yeah. Wasn't it great to have them? It's great to have John back the, the last couple of weeks. And uh, we went on vacation for one of those weeks. I've been around here the last couple of weeks with it, but uh, it's so good to hear from them. I so appreciate it. And uh, it's one of the things we want to do at Venture. We, we also believe that you need to hear from different voices, especially teachers, those who've been a part of our past, be a core part of what we're doing. And so thankful for that. I'm thankful that we had our group come back from Hume yesterday. So for the, yeah. They came back with a little less energy than they left with, but I think God showed up in some amazing ways from the stories that I've been hearing. And so I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for all the activities going on this summer. I'd encourage you, and we're at that midpoint in the summer, and if you're like me, it's a great time to kind of start thinking about, okay, how do you want to finish summer well, but especially how do you want to start the school year well? And so this is a great time church-wise to just pay attention to what's going on, ways that you can get plugged in, whether it's at the Women's Connection, whether it's different events, whether it's with college ministry that's launching if you're a student. And I really wanna encourage you, you know, Nathan talked about uh, needing life group leaders. I would encourage some of you to really pray about that this year. And, and I say that, the reason I say it is, when I think about the most important things we do in life, there's nothing that we do that is more important than investing in other people and just giving our life away. That, that's the core of our faith. And if you're like me, I, I can get kind of busy in all the things that I'm doing and to look up midsummer and maybe think back on the last year and I go, who did I really invest in outside of my normal circle? And so if there's some part of you that maybe God's stirring in your heart that you go, yeah, I wanna do that. I, I wanna be a part of giving my life away. Being a life group leader is one of the best places that you can do that because we'll set you up, we'll teach you, we'll, we'll have you prepared for it. it. It's not as scary as it sounds. It really is just being the person that's willing to facilitate, willing to guide discussions, but more than anything, willing to just invest in other people. And so if God's laid that on your heart, I, I really respond to that. Don't let another year go. Don't look up and go, oh man, I should have done that. This might be the year that you step out in that. And I promise you, I promise you, after leading groups for years and years and years, I've never regretted that investment in others. And I always get more out of the group when I'm leading it than when I'm in it. And so it may be a great investment in you as well. Hey, in all these things, I, I just encourage you, make sure you pay attention, make sure you read what's going on, make sure you check it out. We want you to not only have a church that you worship in, we want this to be your church home, church body, and connected in all those ways. Well, let me take a moment and pray together and then we'll dive into the topic this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. I thank you for venture. I thank you for the things that you're doing that I see happening on this campus. Lord, thank you for the hundreds of students whose lives were impacted this week at Hume. I pray that the commitments they made there, they would bring home with them. I pray that the lessons that were poured into them there would result in action even this week. 
Lord, I thank you for those in our church who do step forward, who invest in others. Thank you for those who teach classes. Thank you for those right now that are serving in our children's ministry because they've chosen each week to invest in our kids. We thank you for their sacrifice. Lord, I thank you for our life group leaders. that They go unsung. <laughs> Often people don't see the effort they put in, but you know. And the impact it has that we don't even see on this side of eternity. Lord, I just thank you for their efforts. Lord, I thank you for your word and the truth in it and that we can look to it. And I pray that you'd speak through it even now in Christ's name, amen. Well, as we're here in summer, and uh, I, I know it's a time where a lot of people are in and out. In fact, maybe some of you are traveling or those of us who, those of you who join us online, we're glad that you've connected with us through uh, technology and that you're a part of this. And part of what we wanna do in summer is uh, take a break out of some of our normal series. So I'm not gonna dive right back in Romans yet and talk about some of the topics that we feel are necessary to address and how scripture informs it. And you know, as I was thinking about just taking a few weeks this summer and some of the things that I see and see out there, you know, one of the things that I felt like we need to address just in a practical way is wisdom. And I say that, maybe it's just me. I don't know if it's just me. It feels like dumb is on the rise. I mean, is it just me? I just feel like they're, people are dumber than they've ever been. And, and sometimes I look at it and I go, how, do, how did they even come to that decision? How are they saying that? Sometimes you just scratch your head. I, I saw a list, Forbes magazine listed what they considered the dumbest warning labels that are put on products. You ever seen these? And then there's all these, and I know part of it is because we're in such a litigious society and they have to have these warning labels, but I always wonder who needed this warning? Like, like some of the products, one was on, on Nitol sleeping pills. One of the warnings was may cause drowsiness. I'm like, you think? Vidal Sassoon hair dryer, one of those hand hair dryer. There's a real warning on it. It says, do not use while sleeping. <laughs> and again, who is this person that at bedtime lays in the bed and thinks this is a really good time to blow dry my hair? <laughs> a Rimmel rotary drill. You know, I've got one of those rotary drills you can use in a shop, wood shop. It's got a real warning on it that says, not to be used as a dental drill. <laughs> can, can I just say, do-it-yourself dentistry is a really dumb idea. <laughs> Sunshield that you put over your car, you know, on a summer day, you put it to block your windshield. One of the warnings on it is, do not drive with sunshield in place. <laughs> a chainsaw that has a warning sticker. And, and it doesn't even have the words, it's just, you know, the people have reached such a base level, you can't explain it to them in words. It just has a picture that shows, don't grab the end of it where the chain is. And again, I'm like, if you're a person who has to be told which end of the chainsaw to grab, you probably don't even need to be operating it. My favorite one of all, 
And again, it's, it's a worthy warning because a lot of people that are dairy-free, you, you have a warning that says this product may contain eggs. You need to know that. The only problem is this label is on a carton of eggs. And again, you, you ask yourself, who is this person that went home and was shocked to find there were eggs in their eggs? We, we live in a society that you can look around and, and maybe there's always been people who've been dumb. That's really not what alarms me. There's a whole other category that scripture uses beyond dumb and it's called foolishness. And, and if you look at it, in fact, the, the book of Proverbs walks through just this category of a fool and it, it's beyond an ignorant person or a dumb person or a warning label on that. If you, you look at it and, and I listed them here, these are just a few of the things. You read through the book of Proverbs, every chapter you're gonna run into this character, the fool. But listen to some of the characteristics that Proverbs points out about foolish people. And ask yourself, do, do, does this sound like any parts of our society today? Foolish people hate truth. Foolish people are always sharing their opinion. Huh. They enjoy wicked schemes. They spout off foolish thoughts all the time. One of the things of a fool is, as soon as they have a thought, they have to say the thought as quick as possible. They don't like parents' discipline. Perverse talk. One of the marks of the fool is, you can always tell their language. It's always coarse or crass or sexual. They're quick-tempered. They're always praising themselves. They laugh at sin. When they see something wrong, it's always funny. They're deceitful. They'll tell a lie in a moment. They bring grief to their parents ultimately. There's a lot of verses in Proverbs talk about they get caught in sexual sin, find themselves in a sexual addiction or patterns they didn't see coming, but should have. It says a foolish woman tears down her own house. She'll literally destroy her own family and break it apart. It, and guys, this is just a survey list in Proverbs. You kind of read through the book over and over and over again. It mentions this character, the fool. And, and, and it's beyond being dumb or just ignorant or things that we, we laugh at. You look at it and you go, as a culture, why are there so many of these things that you'd look at and go, man, that feels like today a lot. When we were teaching through Romans 1, there was a verse that stood out to me in Romans 1 because I really think it's how whole cultures move on this issue. In Romans chapter 1, he says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. He's talking about a, a society, a people. Anytime a people move away from the concept even that they need God, that there is a God, that God has anything to do with real life. When people move to that point that they go, oh, it's okay if you believe God, but it, it, let's contain him over there. He's in church, he's in religion. You have your religious belief, that's great. Just keep him over here. Don't let him actually impact real life as we call it. And Romans just said, man, when people do this, although they claim to be wise, although they think they are so wise and smart, 
Look what God says about them. They became fools. And, and that word foolishness is beyond just, oh, what we laugh at with it's dumb or why do they do that? Man, when you see that term in scripture, it's a powerful condemnation because you've moved to a bad place. And so, so as I was just thinking about this summer and a few weeks, I thought it'd be good to focus on wisdom and the need for wisdom. And when I use that term wisdom, even when I use the category, I'm talking about biblical wisdom because wisdom can be used in ways and there's all different people that would point to what they consider a wise teacher. It used to be Socrates or Confucius or Buddha, one of the world teachers. It's interesting with next generation, when they're asked who are wise teachers, they almost always point to fictional characters now. So Dumbledore is a wise teacher. Yoda. I mean, Yoda's quote is one of the, the wise teachers. Uh, we, we may laugh at it. You got tech companies that put Yoda quotes on their walls. And then they go, yeah, this is wisdom worth following. And again, I don't discount that there's a form of wisdom in it. When I'm using that term, though, I'm talking about biblical wisdom. In fact, there's a whole section of scripture called the wisdom literature. As if you read through the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, parts of Job. And, and in Proverbs in particular, you read at the beginning of Proverbs 1, just listen as Solomon is writing here. It says the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Je Israel. Listen to what he calls out to all of us. He says, if you want to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, you want to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, and equity. These are all key terms that everybody wants today. Man, where do I get wisdom? Where do I get justice? Where do I get equity? And Solomon says, okay, listen up. I want to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, young people. Man, you want to be wise. And then he says, let the wise hear and increase learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. Those of you, maybe you're a little older. Maybe you've heard a lot of this before. He says, you might want to hear it again so that you grow. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And, and so what he's collected here in the book of Proverbs, Solomon, who's considered the wisest person, biblically we would say the wisest person to walk the planet other than Jesus, he asked for wisdom from God. He was known in his time. He would write these Proverbs. These Proverbs are a collection of truth, sometimes based on observation today, but it was a truth. Solomon wrote about 3,000 of them. And we got about 900 of them collected here in the book of Proverbs. Some original to him, some that he saw and he goes, yes, that's truth. And he validated and placed in the book. But, it, but it's this wisdom that we look to so that we can grow in it. So what do we mean when we use the word biblical wisdom or the need for wisdom? Wisdom is the right knowledge to make the right decision leading to the right action. When you read it in scripture, all three of these things are a part of what scripture teaches about wisdom. And, and so there's one part of it is you have to have the right knowledge base. You have to have the right truth. You have, you have to be taught in it. That's part of what Solomon is doing here. He says, I wanna teach and give you this collection of truth so that it starts informing your knowledge. Because if you're ignorant, if you've never been taught it, you're not gonna be able to, walk in wisdom, or if you've been misinformed. 
If you've been taught something that's not the truth, he, he says, you gotta have the right knowledge, but, and here's a key distinction, so that you make right decisions. Wisdom is not just knowledge to know. We live in the information age. We live in the knowledge age. We have collections of information like no generations ever before us. It's not leading to wisdom. Because if you don't know how to take the right knowledge and turn it into the right decision in the moment. And then here, here's the final part, and don't ever leave this. Scripture, when it talks about wisdom over and over again, it always leads to actual action. You actually do something based on it. You don't just know about it. You don't just think about it. You don't just have an intention of it. When you see this scriptural wisdom, and you'll see it in this book, that's one of the reasons I like reading through the book of Proverbs. It's so action-based in it. It tells you what to do. You see it in the teachings of Jesus when he talks about wisdom. You see it in the book of James. Some people have called the book of James the New Testament Proverbs. Because Jesus' brother James, he's so practical and action-oriented because he's teaching about wisdom. And so you'll always see the, these elements together in it. Uh, second thing we need to know about wisdom, wisdom is not natural to any of us, but available to all of us. And so sometimes we look at it and we go, well, of course, there's some people, they're just naturally wise. And there are people that are gifted in discernment. There are people that you turn to, but the natural way of a human is wisdom. Biblical wisdom is not natural to us. In fact, Proverbs, one of the Proverbs says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Man, we come into the world already with a level of foolishness out of it. In fact, one of the most telling Proverbs of all, and, and this one I think speaks to our age of anyone, look at Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Man, look what it's saying right here. And this first phrase, especially, and when it says to a man, it's talking to a human. It's not just a man problem, it's men and women. There's a way that seems right to them. There's each one of us are wired. And here's what our propensity is. This is what feels right to me. This is what my gut is telling me. This is my truth. Maybe to frame it in a more modern way. You, you have your truth and I have my truth. Oh yes, you see the world that way, of course. Oh, it's based on that and that. But this is my reality. This is my truth. This is my way. You hear that today at all? It's probably the, the mantra of today, isn't it? I mean, I, I think this line, it's the base thinking of most people in our culture today that we go, everyone needs to discover your way. You need to discover your truth. You need to live in your reality and, and don't infringe on anybody else's reality. You live in your reality, I live in my reality. We each have our own way. And look what the writer of Proverbs says. Yeah, of course you think that way. Everyone thinks that way. Here's the problem. The end of it leads to death. It doesn't lead to life. Because you were born in the world with foolishness. And, and so just because it feels right, just because it's your truth, your reality, the writer of Proverbs says, yeah, that's just one more step to the ultimate end of it is death. And, and, and he's talking not just in the big picture term, but in the daily part of life as well. 
That's why when Jesus came, he, he, he said, I came that you could have abundant life. I came that you could flourish. I came so that every step of your life is a step, not just to eternal life, but in life now. And the way to be able to live in that life now is to have wisdom. Because then I have the right knowledge about what I'm facing in life, good times and bad times. And then I know how to make right decisions based on what I'm facing. And then I take right actions in it. Guys, if, if there was any verse that I think we need heard today, it's this verse. Because the standstill of most of the conversation really stops right here for a lot of people. They go, I, you have your truth, I have my truth. You have your way, I have my way. At some point you have to step back and go, yeah, but whose truth is right? And, and, and what I, I love about this, Proverbs isn't saying that anybody is inherently born with it. All of us need outside revelation, outside truth. Because left to ourselves, the way is death. See, wisdom's not natural to any of us. The great news, it's available to all of us. It's available to all of us. Proverbs 8, 17, this is wisdom calling out in the streets. It's personified like she's a woman. And wisdom says, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me, find me. You'll see this in Proverbs, you'll see it throughout the Bible. God's not hoarding this wisdom. He's not over here going, oh, this is my special truth nobody can have. He goes, no, I love to share it with you. I love to tell you the way. I love for your life to flourish. And, and I, I love that it's equal opportunity. He's not withholding it from anybody. He doesn't look at anybody and go, oh, they're, they're more special than them. He goes, man, I want to give everybody the opportunity to engage this truth and this wisdom, but we have to seek it. See, if we start with a place that we go, well, I have my truth, I have my way, and I'm gonna rest in my way, man, you, you're on a slow path to death. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe when you walk in, you would have said, that is my reality. I just want to hear you or I want you to hear me and, and just know a wake-up call. Whether you realize it or not, whether it feels right to you or not, it's a way of death. And, and, and God looks at you and says, I want you to know life. I want you to know truth. But you got to seek it. It's not natural in you. It didn't come with you. And, and, and by the way, wisdom doesn't just happen with age. The only thing worse than a young fool is an old fool. And I'll be honest, some of the most foolish decisions I'm seeing today are being made by people my age and older. So this isn't just a young person thing. And I wish I could say, oh, it's just a thing out there. Because I, I'll be honest, I'm not just talking about our church, but within church, you see a level of foolishness today that you go, what is guiding this? I think we need to seek it. I think we do need to look for it. As you look at this, wisdom is practical in application. And, and here's the key on biblical wisdom. It's theological at its core. It's theological. You read through the book of Proverbs, it's a very practical book. In fact, I'd encourage you, as you, you read through it every day, and especially if you're a young person, reading a, a chapter a day, I'll often do this, and I always choose in the summer, I'll pick the book of Proverbs as part of my summer reading. And, and the great thing about Proverbs, it's 31 chapters. 
And so you can just pick whatever day of the month it is and read that proverb. So today's the 17th. So you read Proverbs 17 today. And the great part about Proverbs, if you miss a day or two, it, it, it's collected in a way that you're not gonna miss anything in the story. So let's say you read today on 17, you miss 18, 19, jump in on 20, you'll be fine. You won't look at it and go, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. It's just so clear, so practical. But at the key though, the reason it has meaning, it's not just based on practical human insights. The wisdom of scripture at its core is theological. It's what you do with God. So that's why that Romans 1 passage, the reason whole cultures become fools is because they move away from God. When you say there is no God or when you don't look to God or when you relegate God to kind of a religious category or a church category, but he doesn't really speak to life, you become a fool. The, the, the good news out of it though, if you look at it, if any of you lacks wisdom, James says this, let him ask God who gives, and I love this term, if you ask God for wisdom, look what he does. He gives generously to all. He doesn't withhold and he doesn't just give a little bit. He doesn't look at it and said, okay, I'll, I'll here, toss you a little wisdom. He says, let me open up the whole storehouse. Would love for you to have all the wisdom you need. And then, and then I, I love this line as well. He does it without reproach. He doesn't make you feel stupid for asking. When you, when you go to God, and, and I've had this in my life, and I still have it, where I come to a category in my life and I realize, you know what, I'm being foolish here. And you humble yourself enough to go, what feels right to me is not right. And you go to God and go, God, God I need your help here. Every time I've done that, I've never had a time where God looked at me and go, glad you finally got your act together, you idiot. Glad you finally got over that. You know what he always does? He always gives it without reproach, without condemnation. See, wisdom at its core, it's, it's a theological thing because you're only gonna get it from God. And so how do we grow in that? In the, in the time remaining, I, I wanna turn to just one part of wisdom. It's the part that Solomon says is the foundational, it's the building block. And here's what I would say. I think it's the missing element not only in culture, but I would say in church in a lot of ways today. I would say the missing element is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And, and Solomon says, you're not even gonna ever take a first step in wisdom until you start developing this. You look at it, Proverbs 1, 7. So here's his first teaching after that introduction I read to you. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So he says, the, the very beginning of the whole pattern is you gotta start with the fear of the Lord. And then notice how he contrasts it with fools. Fools don't want wisdom. Fools don't want anybody telling them they're wrong. In fact, it, it, it's usually a signal for me at times when I see foolishness in my life, when I get real defensive about something, I go, what is triggering that? And I go, ooh, there might be an area of foolishness somebody's speaking into. Fools don't want anyone to tell them what to do. You know what a fool responds when you tell them what to do? Well, that's your truth, that's your reality. You live that, that's not my way. 
So Solomon says, you want to break that, you break it with the fear of the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 9, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Says it again, the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Remember, it's theological. It's got to start with God. Unless you think I just cherry picked a couple of verses that mention the fear of the Lord. If you read through the book of Proverbs over and over, here's, let me just read some of the ones. Proverbs 2, 5, when you understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge, uh, the knowledge of God, you will gain life. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil are perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 10, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be cut short. Proverbs 14, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. Proverbs 15.6, better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than to own great treasure and trouble without it. The, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. Proverbs 19, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever rests in it will be satisfied. Proverbs 22, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honors. Proverbs 29, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts and fears the Lord is safe. I mean, over and over again, you see this same theme, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the fear of the Lord? What is it? And, and when you study it, it, it's interesting. And I think one of the reasons we need to study it is our, our culture, we've gotten so far away from it. We don't even think in these terms. Uh, one, one of the words is a sense of reverential awe. Reverential awe. That, that sense of awe that, that when you're around something and the word awe, how do we use it today the most? Awesome. But I use awesome all the time. I'll just say this. I mean, it's become such a common word. Leah asked me, how was dinner? It was awesome. How do I look? You look awesome. And again, I mean, I'm, I'm complimenting. Yeah, but if you knew the, the core word of, in Hebrew of awe in the Bible, it's, it's actually yare, fear, dread. I mean, so, you know, when Lee's saying, how was dinner? And I, I'm telling her, well, it's dreadful. How do I look? Scary. <laughs> you make me afraid. I mean, I tell you, I'm throwing out awesome because we use awesome and just kind of like awesome, dude. But, but in scripture, this sense of awe was I'm around something that's so awe-inspiring, so powerful, so mighty. The, the, the sense of overwhelming sense of other that God is so beyond us beyond who I am. There's this, this recognition of who he really is and who we really are. That when you get near that power, that holiness, that greatness, and you see who you really are in light of it. And, and if, if you look through the Bible, I mean, we downplay the whole concept of fear in that so much, but read the stories of the children of Israel. Read when, when Moses came to the burning bush and he takes his shoes off because he's scared because I'm in God's presence. When they go to Mount Sinai and the mountain's rumbling and what did all the people say? They say, you go up there, Moses. We don't want to be near him. It's scary. When Isaiah the prophet goes into the throne room of God, what does he do? He falls down. He says, woe is me. I'm a sinful man. I have unclean lips. 
That this, this awesomeness of God that he's so much more than we are. And, and I say that because I, I think one of the strengths of the age we live in is we've grown so much in our understanding of intimacy with God. But I think at the expense of really understanding how awesome he is, how powerful he is. At the expense of, of seeing him in that way that, that inspires that sense of fear almost. We've created a God and it really does come down to how you view God. We, we almost treat God like he's the super, he's just the nicest guy in the world. Or, or, or he's a little bit like a needy boyfriend. He's just so thrilled that he's in relationship with us. He doesn't really care what we do. As long as you don't leave me, stay in relationship. If you could show up to church every so often, oh, I'm so happy. That's how we create God. Almost like he's codependent. And so needs us that he would never think of saying anything that might offend us a little bit. Might cut across our life. And, and, and Solomon's saying, man, if you start with that small a God, man, you're gonna find yourself in foolishness real quick. Because here's what you do in that process. You start thinking what you feel about something is more important than what God said about something. And so even though God said it and he was clear about it and he, he stated it, if it doesn't quite feel right to me, God, I'm gonna take the parts that I like that you said and the parts I don't really like, we're just gonna ignore those. And you love me so much, you're so thrilled to be in relationship with me, it's okay. And Solomon goes, you know what that is? That's foolishness. And what you've done is in those, those parts of it that you're ignoring, you're stepping toward death. You, you're not getting to experience all the life that God brought. And, and as you, you do that, you, you lose the truth he wants to bring in your life so that you can experience it. Now, as, as I say this, and here's, here's where the concept is hard, because some of you, and maybe if you're like me, you grew up in more kind of a fundamentalist background, the key question we have is, what's the difference between the fear of the Lord and being afraid of the Lord? And some of you, maybe even right now, you grew up in a context where God was presented very angry all the time. And he was angry at you. And fear was a key tool to keep you in line. And you have to do this rule and you have to do that thing. And you have to, and, and, and so there's part of you, even as you hear this, you go, oh crud, I thought venture was a place of grace. And I don't want to go there. And, and I'm with you. I, I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to a fear-based religion. But in the same way, I don't want to allow my definition of grace to define it in a way that I lose the sense of who God really is. That in of himself, he's so beyond me, he's so powerful, he's so holy, that, that when you compare me to God, I should be terrified, guys. Now, why am I not? Because of Jesus. This is where the gospel comes in. It's not that I want to lower God so much that he's really not that holy, really not that terrifying, so we can have this great relationship. That's not the way to go. Nor is it that I think so great of myself. I'm such a great guy. How, you know, 
I should be awesome around God. No, here's the combination. I know who I am. I know how sinful I am. I'm just like Isaiah. If I went into his presence, I'd fall down and go, I'm a sinful man too. The reason we don't have to be afraid in his presence. In fact, John says this. The reason we're going to be able to stand and see him face to face. The reason is his perfect love cast out that fear. You know what that perfect love is? It's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So who God is and who I am should be terrifying. It's not because of Jesus. And because I have Jesus, I don't ever have to be afraid of God. In fact, I can run to God. But in that grace and in that relationship, I don't want to lose the concept of who God really is. That's what the fear of the Lord is, that he really is awesome. I love how C.S. Lewis, when he wrote the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Aslan, the Lion, who represents Jesus, when the children see him for the first time, and, and one of them asks one of the other characters, they ask this question, is he safe? And they respond, of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. And see, that, that's the same thing here. As we come and we go to understand who God is, we recognize we don't serve a safe God. We don't serve an impotent God. We don't serve a God who's fine with sin. We serve a holy, powerful, omnipotent, awesome God. I don't have to be afraid of him because of Jesus. But I need to respect him for who he is and for what he said. Look at the book of Acts. It's talking about one of the healthiest churches in Acts. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. They lived every day with this real sense of this is who God is. This is what he said. This is what I should do in light of that. And, and, and they enjoyed, they lived in the, the strength of the Holy Spirit leading them in that process. And so, so when you think about this, that, that sense of how I should approach God, there should be something in me, and maybe kind of the closest feeling I've ever had is, I, I don't know, have you ever been starstruck? You've been around a celebrity and you find yourself, you're like, well, I don't know what it is about us. We get kind of nervous. You ever, you ever felt that? Oh, come on. I'm not the only one. I, you know, I, I told you when I was in high school, I grew up in Memphis. When I was at, right out of high school, I worked at Elvis Presley's house, Graceland. I was a tour guide. And one of the best parts of the job is you met tons of celebrities because everybody coming through, they all want to go see Graceland. And so, and, and as a tour guide, I'd sometimes spend about an hour with them. You're walking with them, talking with them. And so, you know, I'd list everything from Paul Simon to Chicago, the Beastie Boys, Dan Aykroyd, Rat, Muhammad Ali. I mean, all these people that you meet and, and part of it was a job and everything. I was pretty cool around it for the most part. The time, and, and this is what's so funny, the time I got most starstruck was about 13, 14 years ago. And it wasn't this huge celebrity. There, there was this band, there was a Christian band when I was in college back in the 80s called the 77s. And they were a Northern California band. And they were really critically well-received, but not known, especially not out of California much. But we had this college pastor who was from California. He introduced it to it, and I wore their albums out. 
And, and they didn't go on to this huge success like other bands with that. In fact, Mike Rowe, not the guy on Dirty Jobs, Mike Rowe was a lead singer. He and Terry Taylor, some others, they put together another band called The Lost Dogs with it. But about 13, 14 years ago, they were touring and they were in Little Rock at a coffee shop. So this shows you how big they are at this point. Not real well known. And I'm excited. I mean, it's like bringing back all my college memories and there's Micro and they're playing. He's playing 77 songs and Lost Dog songs and everything. I mean, no big deal. If anybody else walked in the place, they'd have no clue who the guy is. And I go to the bathroom during one of the breaks and I'm walking into the bathroom and out walks Mike Rowe. He's right there. And at this point, you know, I'm, I'm a senior pastor, <laughs> but I became an 18 year old kid. And I was like, play it cool, Tim. Play it cool. And so I did, I mean, I, you know, I did, I, I, my first words were like, great set, big fan. And I was gonna leave it at that, you know, play it cool, just real. But he kind of looked at me, kind of like rolled his eyes. And something in my brain then was determined to prove I was a big fan. So I just kept talking. I was like, no, no, you, you gotta understand. I mean, big fan, like all fall down or ping pong over the best. I start naming off all these albums and songs. And then I, I, I wore, and he, he's like, uh-huh. I was like, I mean, I mean, even all the way back in college, here in the South, I mean, a lot of people didn't know 77 in the South, but I mean, our college pastor, I mean, even as I was talking, there's a part of me that was outside of myself, looking at myself, saying to myself, for the love of all that is good, stop talking. It was like this slow motion train wreck. And finally he looks at me kind of snarky and he's like, oh yeah, I think I remember that college pastor and walked off. And I was like, what just happened here? As I, as I look at it, there was some part of my brain that he had been really important and I cared desperately what he thought. What if God had that position in all of our life? See, that, that's the beginning of wisdom, is when I care more about what God thinks than anyone or anything else. When, when God takes such preeminence in my life that every category of my life that I'm thinking about, anything I'm making a decision about, you wanna be wise, you think, what did God think about it? And, and it's not what I feel God thought about it, it's what he actually said about it. If you ever wonder what God thinks about stuff, he told us. So it's not just a, well, I think God thinks, it's what did God say? What did God tell us? And, and so you wanna be wise about your decision. You know what your starting point is? Your starting point is, what does God think about this? And that takes priority. When you wanna be wise in your relationships, you start with, what does God think about this relationship? You wanna be wise with your money. And some of you go, oh no, Tim, I'm wise with my money. I've got a lot of money. Scripture talks more about rich fools than poor fools, but they're still fools. You wanna be wise with your money? What does God say about it? What does he think about money? What does he think about sex? What does he think about work and your job? 
It's real practical and application, but it always starts in the same place. What does God think about this? And do I value that? And do I respect that? And do I look at it even with a sense of awe that I go, man, he is so powerful and he is so wise. Why would I not look to him first instead of going with my God and what I feel? You want to grow in wisdom today? Just real practically. One is just recognize and admit your natural foolishness. And this will happen, by the way, all through life. There'll be areas of life that you'll be really wise about. And then God says, okay, now let's open up this door of your life. And you go, oh, man, I've been foolish here, haven't I? And when you come to that place, again, it's the humility of going, okay, God, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to admit it. Ask him. James says, if you ask him, he loves to give it. He loves to pour it out generously. And he, and he won't approach, give it with reproach. He won't make you feel dumb for asking him. Fill your mind with this truth. I, I'd encourage you, maybe today, read the Proverbs chapter of the day. Just for this next little season here. Start at Proverbs 17. Tomorrow, look at the calendar. Okay, what chapter? Proverbs 18. And just read one chapter a day. But with that, apply one truth from your reading. Don't just read these parts because you can read through the Proverbs and they're so fascinating. You go, oh, that's good, that's good. One thing in the chapter, I promise, is going to jump out at you that you go, oh, man, I need to do that. I need to live that. And why would I do it? Because it's important to God. And he's worth listening to. Because I think what he says is more important than anything else. Guys, I, I think if there was anything we need, not just out there, but in here, it's the fear of the Lord, that sense of who God is enough that we would shape every aspect of our lives around what he thinks. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for just your truth. I thank you for your word. Thank you for Solomon and his wisdom. Thank you for the truth that we find in it. Lord, I, I pray today, even as I preach this, I, I feel conviction. It's easy for me to revert back to what I think or what I want to do. And just assume you're going to be okay with it. Instead of just laying everything before you and trusting what you say. Lord, I, I pray for those, maybe they're hearing this today and they don't know you in a way that they could trust you like that. They don't realize that through Jesus... We don't have to be afraid of you, but we can live in respect of you. So I pray they'd open their lives to that wisdom and truth today. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here that even now you're convicting them about a specific area of their life where they're being foolish. Would you give them the humility to confess that? The willingness to ask you for wisdom an obedient heart to put it in action so that they can experience life in Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.